welcome to Secondhand Cinema. I'm Chris. No. What? Do, I'm, what? Why, why are you doing you that? Why press record and then E? You, <coughs> you, you clearly just watched me put a gherkin into my mouth. And then you started the podcast. I, I, I cannot be held responsible for starting a podcast when you have the record button. You hit record and then ate the pickle. Yeah, but you hit record just so you catch... What, you know, you don't expect to be immediately be ambushed by a podcast starting when you're trying to eat a gherkin. <laughs> Surprise podcast! <laughs> I tell you what, I'll play the, the little jingle whilst I finish off this pickle. How's that? Then we'll start. Sure. This has gone downhill already. I'm Tanalee. And I'm Chris. And I like watching films. And I kind of don't. So to save Chris the effort, I watch them for him and tell them about them. And he can decide if he likes them or not. Thank you very much, Tanley. And this is our... I mean, you, you know this. You listened to episode one, right? Of course you did. Otherwise, why would you listen to episode... You wouldn't listen to episode two of something without listening to episode one. That's... I suppose that depends on our marketing, right? <clears throat> marketing, if we can call it that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Have you received any feedback from episode one? Do you know what, actually? It's been generally pretty good. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of positive feedback about the jingle, so well done on that one. Thank you very much. Uh, and I think at least one person listened to it long enough to say they liked the podcast too. Fantastic. What about you? Well, a few people got in contact with me. First person wanted to tell me that after our assertion that the straw hats with blades on them foreshadowed Goldfinger, Odd Job first appeared... In the Goldfinger novel in 1959. I would like to say, before this continues any further, that I cannot be blamed for any of this because I'm the ignorant person in this pairing. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just... Okay, that's fine. So as long as we blame you, that's not a problem. That's the feedback. Also, I've been reminded that you can buy Daikon Radish in Tesco as well as Morrison's. <laughs> so thanks for uh, that. Yeah, good. Good work. And I was also sent a link to... A top 20 gratuitous nude scenes of the 1980s. Thanks for that. Who did you send this podcast to? <laughs> I, I was specifically pointed in the direction of, quote, the woman singing the Star Spangled Banner with a Statue of Liberty hat on who loses her top due to super magnets hidden in basketball hoops. Sorry, what? I mean, if that, that wasn't okay. in English, that would make it into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like I need to... Okay. I mean, yeah, hopefully you like episode two, listeners out there, because we actually have listeners. We weren't sure last week. When did we record it? it <laughs> Whenever <was>. it was. <laughs> In the past. So yeah, if you've got any nice comments, apparently, send them to Chris. If you've got any constructive criticism or just pedantic point scoring, then apparently I'm your man. Mm. Shall we... Uh, Get on with the podcast. I am ready to continue to be ignorant in the face of historical information. Fantastic. Well, today we are talking about a Thai film. Ooh. And it's the 2008 film Chocolate. Okay. That's not the one Thai film I've seen. Now, this film has caused the same conversation to be had several times between me and other people. Where, you know, that chat, like, oh, have you seen any good films recently? And I say, oh, yeah, I watched this film, Chocolate. It's really good. And other person says, oh, yeah, that is a really good film. Pretty sure it's Chocolat, though. And is I there a French film that's called Chocolat? <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, Johnny Depp, Alfred Molina, about setting a chocolate shop up in a 
sort of provincial French town. So what you're explaining to me is that this is a very tannily specific <clears throat> problem in which there is a well-known film, roughly called Chocolate, that mm. everybody knows about, and it's like, oh yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And there is a basically unknown film, at least to us in the West, film called Chocolate. Mm. So anyway, these conversations always go, I think it's Chocolat. And I say, no, it's pretty sure it's Chocolate. That's a bit weird. No, it's pretty sure it is Chocolat. No, but I think it is chocolate. But anyway, why would you watch a film about an autistic girl who beats up criminal gangs to collect money to pay for her mother's chemotherapy? And there we are. <laughs> and then we, we very quickly realised that we are, in fact, talking about different films. <clears throat> As an aside, chocolate has a higher rating on Rotten Tomatoes than Chocolat. I just want to slide that under the door. Congratulations, you win the hipster points. <laughs> I hope you're proud. So... That's the, the one sentence plot summary. Is that the end of the podcast? Is that it? <laughs> That's I mean, the that, film. <laughs> that was another roller coaster. I'm not sure I can listen to the plot. It's a really good film. And I feel like we should preface it. I want to say something very quickly about minority representation in films. And as I say that, I can hear, firstly, listeners turning off and unsubscribing to this podcast. And secondly, the scissors of the edit hanging over me. <laughs> I mean, very ambitious of you to presume that anybody has subscribed. That's that's true. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, you know, I thought this is interesting. This is a the lead character in a film that has autism. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, right, how can I get a bit of info about the portrayal of autism in films? There's this guy on YouTube who is autistic. And among other things, he has a little series of videos reviewing the accuracy of autistic characters in films. Mm-hmm. He's my guy. So as I suspected, most autistic characters in films are usually inaccurate stereotypes, which can be very damaging to the kind of wider perception of autism and also to the quality of life of people with autism as well. This guy in particular says how much influence the film Rain Man has had in the bullying he has received from people. Yeah, <clears throat> I can imagine that. And this is all coming from me as a straight white male. You know, I have never experience these kind of minority issues it's very interesting that currently issues about race and gender are cropping up when talking about film representation but things like autism aren't there yet mm. it's a smaller minority but it doesn't mean it doesn't warrant attention so basically every film that he talks about he's very critical of the portrayal of autism apart from chocolate oh wonderful which that's actually kind <laughs> of wholesome made me very happy it's uh he says the common traits uh, of autistic people are portrayed very accurately the kind of lack of social awareness and comfort the limited speech skills the kind of stress-induced meltdowns aspects of sensory overload the kind of self-stimulating behavior that a lot of people with autism do so that's good and also i think there's another point to be made here you know often autistic characters in films are convenient mathematical geniuses yes for reasons of plot yeah yeah and to give the character value i suppose and again that's quite a tired stereotype i think and you could argue that the autistic character just having martial arts skills is just a reframing of that mathematical genius oh yeah yeah, yeah i can see where you go <clears throat> and i think there's an important distinction here i worked with two wonderful deaf actors for a few months last year and we had some really interesting discussions about the whole diversity inclusivity accessibility of minorities in theater and film and we came to the conclusion that there are several different aims, different things at play. 
Firstly, just having characters from minorities in the film. Secondly, including creatives from that minority. So writers, actors, directors. And finally, there's the empowerment of those characters from minorities so that people from those minorities have strong inspirational characters to look up to. You look at, for example, black characters in film. Mm -hmm. You look at how films like Black Panther and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse have given young black kids this inspiration that not all superheroes are white. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be a superhero. You could be a hero, strong, worthy of good stuff, whatever. So I think this martial arts skill is a great way of giving autistic people that watch this film a kind of badass character to show that autism doesn't stop you being cool and strong whilst still incorporating accurate common traits of autism. So that's really good, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree a lot. And and to, to kind of double back on the whole black representation in film, because, dear listener, that is me in some <laughs> respects, one of the brilliant things about films like Black Panther is not just the... Black people have always had the benefit of the cool guy in films. The comedic side character. The, the comedic side character or the, oh, a few funny quips in the horror film and then dead straight away. Um, what we haven't had as much in films is that breadth of of character. The, yeah, okay, so you have like Moss and IT crowd or whatever, which is like, we've got nerds who are black now and slowly but surely that's kind of stretching out. Um and I think we have been lucky in some senses, there's still plenty of work to do, but we have been lucky in some senses that we are starting to see a more diverse representation of what it means to be a black person in a film. You can be anybody and also be black, and that's meaningful. Mm. A black person doesn't always do one specific thing anymore. Whereas I think there are other minority groups that don't have that benefit. Yeah. And, and I can imagine people with autism are exactly one of those groups where mm. it's a, if we're in a film, this is what we are in a film. Mm. And to see somebody outside of that group is probably, I would hope, really beneficial. Apparently, your YouTuber has seen it to be beneficial. Mm. So I've seen a clip of some young black boy in like a comic store who absolutely loves superheroes and reads comics and watches the films, whatever. And his his favorite character is Spider Man, and he's Spider Man is great. And he kind of says, "Oh yeah, but you know, I'll never be anything like Spider Man." And then someone shows him like the cover of Into the Spider Verse with the black spider-man mm. and he he just looks like just flip his, it. his world his has just changed and it is the most rewarding thing to see that kind of empowerment of a minority group i mean um, while we're completely <laughs> off topic of the uh, podcast anyway yeah. um i might as this well... is all getting cut i don't know why we're... yeah it's fine we're having this conversation <laughs> on a greater thing but actually i did struggle for a long period of time not struggle but i spent a long period of time trying to live up to the black african-american cool guy stereotype a little bit and you probably will have seen me me and tanley went to university together and mm. there was part of that was still there in my personality <laughs> then mm. it was even years after that that i started to realize what other things there was so i i can understand that both from a you start to become what you see you think that that's what it means to be you or that's what you should be uh, mm. and but that's also reflected by other people other people thinks you should be like that it really does make a difference and i find myself enjoying films more where there is not shallow representation strong minority character portrayals leads to diverse storytelling and and that is actually the the big thing that it all comes back to 
we all benefit from diverse storytelling because it means there are more stories to be told and there are more interesting stories to be told. Mm. Films have this wonderful ability, I mean, I presume they do, of taking us outside our own perspective. Yeah. And one of the few things that we can really do is, is, is almost spend some time in the shoes of somebody who's not anything like us in the slightest. And, you know, there are a few things that are kind of within my wheelhouse of I understand what that is. I kind of understand where they're coming from. And that's great to have. But to also be transported somewhere, which is just, I have no idea what it would be like to be that person. But thanks to this, I've grown a little bit of empathy. And maybe if I see somebody like that, I'll have a more nuanced understanding of what they're dealing with. Hmm. And we... cut all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been talking for about 20 minutes. I and, over. Uh... Uh, you're gonna have to find the interesting parts of that conversation and do what you want with them. Probably just cut all of it. <laughs> bonus secondhand cinema bonus edition. Oh yeah, secondhand cinema. The the second take. Secondhand no. pontificating. The B side. No, the second real. Be real. Be real. Be yeah, real. I know what you mean. Anyway, let's talk about this film. So Thai film, two thousand and eight. We start by getting introduced to this Japanese guy Masashi, and the narrator says that. He loves things with imperfections. He enjoys investigating the causes of these imperfections. And we get this little montage of Masashi, this little Japanese boy, kind of tracing his fingers round a hole in a desk and this crack in like a little toy robot. And then we immediately find ourselves in like some gang dispute with an adult Masashi. I'm not entirely sure we needed that slice of It depends what happens. I don't know. I like the, uh, the background so far. Fine. The fact that Masashi isn't really in most of the film... Maybe I'll like it a little less. Yeah. So yeah, there's this dispute over territories of crime gangs. And Masashi, we assume he's some sort of Yakuza kind of mobster. And then we meet Zin, who is a Thai woman with a chopstick in her hair and a scar above her eye. Where are we? Uh, Thailand. In a room. It's a very throwaway scene. Okay, I, I won't um, focus on it. That's fine. The intriguing thing is the scar above Zin's eye, and Masashi loves things with imperfections. Oh, of course. And it's very deep and very, it's very clever. Hmm. We don't really know who these characters are or what their allegiances are. At one point, Zin shakes her head so that the chopstick falls out and kind of cracks on the floor. Uh, and her <laughs> her hair kind of cascades down like a shampoo advert. <laughs> in slow motion it's so unnecessary but she's worth it <clears throat> maybe it's masashi uh, <laughs> she she bangs someone's head on the floor uh, on the table masashi apologizes for overstepping his territory and he offers a briefcase full of money as an apology and he's allowed to leave with a warning just to be careful where he does his business but on the way out he carefully picks up the two halves of the broken chopstick and studies them whilst the narrator reiterates Masashi loves things with imperfections. Okay. At the moment, this film is trying to tell you that it's a film about Masashi. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling that. We then have a little montage of a combination of various scenes of Zin and Masashi having sex and going on a romantic drive and doing all, you know, all the things that happily newly in love couples do, like at one point they kiss on a bridge. Brilliant. I, um, do you know who hasn't? You're that happy, you want to drive to a bridge and kiss on a bridge. I don't know that I have. No, me neither. But apparently that's what they do. We cut between that and number eight, who is the name of the Thai gangster boss. Oh, of course, of course. 
I don't think we ever hear his name, but according to Wikipedia, he's called Number Eight. So it's probably in the tie, but it's never it doesn't didn't make it into the subtitles. Or maybe it's in the <clears> script, <throat> but it doesn't make it into the film. It's in the script, yeah, yeah. So Number Eight is kind of beating people up and collecting debts, and Zinn seems to be the kind of bookkeeper of Number Eight's uh, empire. Okay, okay. Keeping track of how much everyone owes. So then <laughs> we have a scene of Zinn in, sat in a car with Number Eight. And they just sit there driving awkwardly in silence for 19 seconds. <laughs> oh, we're counting again. We're back to the stopwatch. Oh, no. <laughs> and then number eight just pulls over, gets out and starts shooting these random guys that are sat outside. Yeah, obviously. Turns out that they're Japanese and Masashi's there with them. Zin stands in front of Masashi yeah. to protect him from number eight. Number eight says, you'll never do that again. And that he never wants to see the two of them together. And as a threatening sort of symbolic gesture... He shoots himself in the foot. Sorry, what? And he does it in this really... He looks really intently at Zin and says, you know, I never want to see the two of you together again. Brings his gun down from pointing at Masashi to his own foot. And then while still staring at Zin, shoots himself in the foot. <laughs> well, I mean, that the metaphor's a little bit on the nose there. And we get this very poignant shot of his white shoe with a bullet hole and like a pool of blood coming out from it. Mm. <clears throat> so Zin and Masashi drive off. We get a very short scene where Zin and Masashi are in bed together. Zin tells Masashi he should go back to Japan. They shouldn't see each other again. <laughs> Masashi says, okay. And he gets out of bed to look out the window. And he's completely naked. This threw me. I didn't expect him to just be naked. You only see him from the back, but still. And then we get titles. Over. Chocolate. Yeah. Well, no, it's very calm. We get some very gentle kind of acoustic guitar. Oh. And it's it's almost set up to be like a a kind of light-hearted romantic drama. It's that, it's that kind of music and this kind of, they're in bed and they go in, oh yeah, I'm not going to be able to see you again. Chocolate. And then we skip forward <laughs> 16 years and daughter? We skip forward nine months. Okay, a good, um, a good period of time for a child. Yeah, the time jump isn't explained. But we arrive with a doctor telling Zin that her newborn baby has some problems with the development of her brain. We get some cute scenes with Zin and baby daughter on a swing, then playing with a doll that Zin's given her to remind her of, of her father. Mm. And then something absolutely incredible happened that I did not expect. We get this close-up of a some form of little sweet. I think it's like an M&M or something. Okay. And then the most incredible computer-generated fly lands <laughs> on this M&M. <laughs> okay. I don't, I've never seen a better CGI insect of any type don't don't at me and say that flies aren't insects whoever you are out there but <laughs> but this this fly is incredible and you know this film isn't filled with cgi but this is you but found this the budget. fly is it's, it's so good i couldn't <laughs> believe it um <clears throat> but, so masashi receives a letter from zin and so, wait, 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 you can't just move away from the fly. Is the fly pointing it in some way? Does it just land on the sweet and do nothing? Both the fly and the sweet are vaguely important in the future. Oh, in the future? Yeah. Oh no, it's a to be continued. <laughs> so Masashi gets a letter from Zin basically saying, it's so difficult being without you, but I'm looking after our daughter, which is really difficult because she's not like other kids. She needs special care and attention. My life's devoted to her. And I will always love you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. The narrator just says, <clears throat> Musashi loved things with imperfections. 
<laughs> that that never comes back again in the whole film. It's but made it, such. It was, a... that, it was. It's there. Know. Come on. And this is also the last that we don't see Masashi again for like another hour. I'll see you later, buddy. When that when the letter's being read out, Masashi is just looking poignantly out over a river. <laughs> Do we see his cheeks this time, or is he wearing clothes? <laughs> He is clothed. I like to imagine they just filmed one scene of the actor facing towards a green screen, like cheeks out. Out the window. And they just river. use it multiple times in the film for yeah, like yeah. various poignant moments. <laughs> they could just CGI the clothes. If they can CGI a fly, they can CGI some clothes on him. They've already spent all the budget. It's gone. True. That's the whole CGI budget gone. So number eight gets told that Zin is in contact with Masashi again. So number eight goes over to Zin's house. He cuts off a bit of the daughter's hair as oh. like a threat. Oh. <laughs> he talks about how losing a toe changes your life. You notice it when you walk, when you run. Maybe I should have done it to you instead. Yeah, probably. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so then he cuts off one of her toes then and then leaves. Oh, okay, right, okay. A toe for a toe. He got there eventually. By the way, the daughter's name is Zen. Oh, no. So, so we've got Zin and Zen. We've got Zin and Zen. Oh, and number eight, which is the amount of brain cells he's got. <laughs> so Zin moves house. She moves to like a little flat that's above a martial arts school. Classic. Uh, nice touch. We see her limping. I like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really nice portrayal of the kind of sensory overload that a lot of autistic people experience. We get this huge kind of boulder size glass ball that kind of falls onto the floor. There's this really loud clang. And then as the camera kind of reframes and we see Zen, who's kind of one or two or whatever, crawl over towards it and pick it up, we gradually realise that it's a tiny marble. Ah, it's really okay. nicely done. Okay. We see her gradually grow older. We see her stood at a window clutching the doll that she was given when she was a baby. It's not a sweet or a fly, so I don't care. <laughs> and she's transfixed watching all the students practice martial arts. We see her practice some of the martial arts like on a wooden pillar. And then... Zin has to kind of clean up all the cuts and bruises she's given herself. And then we see her practicing again on the pillar, but this time there's a duvet kind of tied around the pillar. Classic. It's quite nice. So Zin and Zen are walking down the street and they see this young boy getting bullied and kind of beaten by some other kids. And then the next thing we see is Zen and this boy sat at home watching a film on TV. That moved very quickly. Yeah, I, 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 it <clears> took me a while to catch up there. But in some ways, this is incredibly efficient storytelling. Why spend 15 minutes developing this rescuing him and adopting him basically he becomes like an adopted member of the family okay yeah, um, fair. and this boy's name is morm so yeah they're sat there watching this film on tv and the film they're watching i think is the one thai film that you've watched ong back ong back yes hey and if anyone in this country has watched a thai film it's probably ong back it's the first thai film i watched uh, it's a martial arts film and it's very violent you know, it's not like the sort of Jackie Chan style of light-hearted, funny martial no. arts. There's broken bones that you see very obviously. So they're watching Ong Back. Okay. Which is which is quite cool. Incidentally, the director and choreographer in Chocolate are the same as in Ong Back. I mean, what better way to advertise your own <laughs> film than by putting it in another one of your own films? And also, Tony Jaa, who is the lead in Ong Back, taught the main lead in Chocolate, Yanin Vismitananda, Muay Thai. Okay. So she was his kind of protege in Muay Thai. So there's some nice links there. And this crops up later. So bear this in mind that they're watching this film. Zen's again. She's looking out the window. She's watching the students training. Moom comes up behind her and says peekaboo. 
And Zen just elbows him in the face without even looking. 10 out of 10. <laughs> that is the correct decision. I've been there. Don't spook me. You get swung at. It's not, it's not my fault. It's yours. Yeah, exactly. So we find out that Zen has excellent reflexes because without looking, she's sat on her rocking chair and she catches two apples that Moom throws at her. I don't know why he throws them at her in the first place because he throws them really hard just at her. But fine. I presume that over the years, they have built up an understanding that throwing apples at Zen is basically useless. And so it becomes increasingly more fun to throw apples at her. But this, this is like the first time it happens. This is when they're... As far as you know. Uh, maybe. Dear viewer. <laughs> maybe. Also, she seems to be collecting lots of these little tiny glass marbles that we saw at the start. Okay. And she's kind of putting on this bookshelf. There's this really clever cut where Mom then throws a tennis ball at her. She catches the tennis ball. And on that catch, the kind of camera zoomed in on the actual hand catching the ball. We then cut and zoom back out and she's grown up. Nice. 18, 19. I think she's 22. The actor's 22. Um, and the character's sort of... Older 18, teenager. Yeah. yeah. Young adult. And the way they do that cut is really nice. The eight-year-old catches it, zoom out, she's 18. Excellent. Really and we nice. got rid of all the irrelevant years of someone's life. Exactly. Sorry, Brilliant. kids. <clears throat> Efficient storytelling. Uh, so what they've done is they've turned this crazy reflex into like a street performance. So oh, there's this big crowd okay. gathered around them and they're all just chucking stuff at her. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she catches everything. She catches all these balls that they're throwing at her. Well, you'd flipping hope so. Yeah. So then Mum is growing up as well. He's going around kind of doing the, the hyping up of the crowd and going around collecting money. Yeah, yeah. Whilst Zen flicks M&Ms into her mouth. She's just sat on this chair, ignoring everyone, just flicking M&Ms into her mouth. Pretty chill. Then someone throws a knife, which Zen catches instinctively and obviously cuts her hand. This street gang come out and try and confront them. But Zen kicks the leader to the floor mm. of this gang. There's this really weird interaction between two of these guys. I think it's supposed to be a kind of oh, our leader just got beaten up. We should go and beat this person up. Oh, okay, you first. It's meant to be that kind of interaction, okay, but yeah, wordless. Yeah. But these guys are definitely stuntmen and not actors. <laughs> because they both just basically smile at each other for a bit. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then point towards the, <laughs> the woman. <laughs> so yeah, so she beats them up, dodging all of their punches and kicks and kind of making them punch each other. Classic. We um, love a bit of that. Yeah. But she kicks them occasionally as well. Her kicking technique is really something. She can kick someone at her head height, but the rest of her body is stationary. Her torso is upright and she's kicking someone in the head. I'm, I am always really impressed when somebody is a good kicker. Like, it sounds like an odd thing to say. It's so much more impressive than punching. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could take a, a reasonably good punch, but I can't do a good kick. So anyway, they go home. Moom kind of patches up all the cuts and tells her that Zen, you know, tells Zen that she needs to be careful. Not everything can be caught. He suggests some form of signal so that she knows not to catch. Um, but at that point, a fly flies around her and really stresses out Zen. So Moom kind of shoes it away, calms her down. He says, right, so next time it's dangerous, I'll shout flies. Nice. And you, and you know not to catch it. So he tests it out. He uh, shouts flies, throws a tennis ball at her. And she doesn't do anything, so it hits her in the head. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I mean, and yeah. Then, so Moom says, no, no, you're supposed to dodge it as well as not catch it. And yeah, she goes, fair, oh, fair, okay, fair. Okay. So they try it again. 
and she dodges it by kind of just rocking back on her rocking chair and gets the timing perfect. Oh, and it's just it's like slips good. past the fa- mm, yeah, spicy. And then Moom says, "Okay, let's try for real," and pulls out a knife. <laughs> Excellent, good job. That's and at efficiency. that point, Zin, the mum, comes around the corner and asks, "What's going on?" <laughs> it's just <laughs> Moom with this knife ready to throw it at your daughter. So uh, Zin slaps Moom and asks, "Why are you doing these risky things?" You know, you shouldn't be doing this. It's dangerous. Moom argues um, it's so that Zen can protect herself. Zin says, oh, it's not worth it. You know, you're not getting much money. But then Moom gets the money out and says, well, hopefully it'll be enough to cover your doctor's bills and gives the money to Zin. Oh. It's, oh. oh. This kid. This kid is so, oh, he really gets my heartstrings. Is this? He gets me. So we find out that, that Zin has got to go to the hospital and have, we, I don't think we get told specifically what it is that she's being treated for. Mysterious death illness, yeah. yeah. But she's got to have these drugs that can cause bad side effects. Yeah. So she goes off to have her treatment. Zen and Moom head back on Moom's moped. Uh, and they go back to doing the whole catching stuff in the street. Then we see Zen watching a bit more of Ong back. Nice. Sat at home. And she's like rewinding the, the brutal kicks oh, and yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. She's got her favorite parts. And whilst she's watching it, she's kind of bouncing M&Ms off her arm into her mouth. Oh. Kind of off her forearm. Ooh. It is quite cool. Technique improved. On the subject of martial arts films, initially the idea was when she's watching these films, it was meant to be Ong Bak and a Bruce Lee film and a Jackie Chan film. But, but they couldn't sort the licensing out for those, so it's just on back. <laughs> and well, yeah. Remember that for later. Okay, so we're good. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Okay, so Moom comes in, he trips over a little box, uh, and as he tidies it away, he finds this little book, and it seems to list a load of people that owes in money. So it's mm. her book back from when she was number eight's bookkeeper. Why <clears> would you keep it? That's well, just silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we see. Moom and Zen have gone to this ice factory to get some money. Is there what? Ice factory? Ice factory, yeah. Classic <laughs> location. An ice factory? <laughs> what do they do? Ship ice across the world? That cannot be efficient. Well, maybe not across the world, but there's ice, there's big chunks of ice, there's crushed there's ice. There's big chunks of there's, ice. There's big, as in big chunks of ice, as in the size of like a, an armchair. That's a big chunk of ice. So they go to this ice factory to try and get the money that they owe Zin, but the owner just kind of gets his men to throw them out. I've just had a thought. Mm. Why would you have a big chunk of ice? Are they mining ice? <laughs> <laughs> well, because isn't that I... how... That, that's how you transport ice, isn't it? You transport big bits of ice because it melts a lot slower than lots of small bits of ice. Yeah, and then also, you cut them on site. We noticed that, incidentally, the owner of this ice factory is one of the men that we saw number eight beating up in the little montage at the beginning sure so that checks out so back at home zin and zen are kind of cuddled up they go to bed we get this again completely unexpected but absolutely beautiful little hand-drawn animated dream sequence where we see zen kind of defeating this big sort of demon monster it's so out of nothing but it's just really nice it's really well done just having this little window into her you know, she wants to save the day. She wants to be the strong yeah, kind yeah, of hero yeah. Yeah, of yeah. her story, I suppose. Zen then wakes up and leaves immediately. She arrives alone at the ice factory and oh, demands the money again. Pretty cool move. Yeah. And all the men just kind of push her to the floor. But when she's there on the floor, 
she sees these kind of flashbacks of Tony Jarvin on back beating the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. She gets up. We see a Tony Jar kick from on back. And then Zen does Is that like exact cutting? kick oh, yeah, baby. on this guy. We get a stuntman who isn't an actor kind of look at her, wipe his forehead, say, what the heck? And then get kicked in the head. What's he wiping his forehead for? It's not going to be sweaty in an oh, ice yeah. factory. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> Maybe he's perspiring from all the effort he's having to put into his acting. It's, I, I suppose <clears throat> it's probably humid, right? Yeah. Ice melting into the air, watery air. I suppose, That's yeah. What I mean, yeah. We get another... There's a stuntman who isn't an actor who wears a woolly hat who says, oh, damn, and then gets kicked in the head. Uh, <laughs> she beats up another eight of these guys. For reference, does she just kick everybody in the head? There, There's some other things as well. She kicks people <laughs> elsewhere. There's some punches. There's some kind of grapples. The fighting's good. Oh, okay, okay. And it's varied as well. Okay. So the remaining ice factory workers resort to their secret weapon. Ice. Which is pushing six big blocks of ice along the floor towards her simultaneously oh my days it's a block puzzle and except you know what... my what okay sorry, sorry do you know what she does no she steps to one side and dodges all of them <laughs> yeah i mean yeah <laughs> so um two of them get knocked out one guy tries pushing one block of ice towards her i don't know why he thinks that'd work if six of them at once didn't work he gets uh, kicked through an ice slicing machine an ice slicing machine yeah Okay, that's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Someone I... tries throwing a block of ice at her, but it misses without her even moving. So I mean, apparently... That's pretty realistic, yeah, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> they all get knocked out. The owner tries to sneak up behind Zen with a small axe, but Zen kind of does the whole kick without even looking at him. A nice little pocket axe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got to have your axe when you're working with all that ice. Oh, yeah. I just... Oh, hang on. Sorry, this block's a bit too big. Let me just cut off a chunk with my pocket axe. <laughs> So this guy is knocked out on the floor and Zen goes over to him and just keeps kicking him, saying, Mum's money, mum's in hospital, lots of money, need money. She kind of keeps repeating these. You know, she she talks in these very short sentences. Mm. And then she notices he's wearing a bum bag. <laughs> a fluorescent bum bag. I see. So she takes takes the bum bag, all the money in it. Uh, she gets home, she wakes up Moom by showing him all the money, and then collapses into bed herself. <clears throat> yeah, fair. She deserves sleep. Yeah. So next day, Moom and Zen are driving around on the moped again. Moom says, let's see how it goes today. If he seems nice, we'll ask for the money. So they go to this packing warehouse. There's just lots of boxes around. <laughs> uh, they see the owner outside. He seems kind of friendly and he starts counting out some money. But then he just bops Moom on the head with it and goes, do you think I'm that stupid? And then throws the money to one of his men called Chun. We get a name of a henchman. That doesn't oh, wow. happen often. Chun does a very weird thing. He's sat on a stool uh, and there's another stool on its side on the floor in front of him. Yeah. Whilst the money's in midair being thrown to him, he kind of stands up, flicks up the stool and puts his foot up on that stool. It's so unnecessary. And he catches the money and they kind of play like piggy in the middle with Moom kind of running around trying to get the money as they just taunt him with it. And it's quite a nice touch because these stuntmen seem to vaguely understand how to act as well as fight, which Excellent. is an improvement. We've got the, the big budget stuntmen here. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they're, they're chucking this money around. They chuck it back to Chun, but Zen appears next to him and catches it before he can get it. Uh, she kind of pins Chun's leg between the two stools that he's been 
messing about with oh, and kicks no, him to the his floor. hubris <laughs> yeah. has come back to haunt a him. A different guy then says, ow. <laughs> For some reason. And they all kind of chase Moom and Zen into the warehouse, which is full of all these cardboard boxes. There's a big fight in the warehouse. There's over 20 of these guys that they're fighting. Notable moments. She uses her kind of diminutive size to roll between shelves and shimmy between big piles of boxes that the men can't fit through. But they still make a lot of those kind of martial arts noises as they try and fit through that kind of (laughs) as they they try and fit through this gap that they clearly can't fit through. I I thought you said these were just cardboard boxes. Can't they just move them out of the way? I mean, maybe. Oh, there's all like metal shelving as well. Okay, okay. But but yeah. One guy gets his trousers pulled down as a way of like escaping his grapple. And one guy gets kind of stuck in some chair legs that Zen's kind of flicked up with her feet to Oh yeah, yeah, I can I can imagine that. It's a really good fight scene, and there are some nice little light-hearted beats like those. Whilst the fight's going on, Moom is just hiding like on a shelf behind some boxes. Occasionally, he just throws some boxes out in the way of henchmen. He uh, sounds smart. Yeah, <laughs> at one point he kicks someone that's already been knocked out, which I really like. The classic. We get a a slow motion spinning back kick, which is pretty cool. There is slow motion in this, but it's tasteful. It's not everywhere like in some martial arts films. There's an incredible stunt where Zen stood on this big pile of boxes about 12 foot above floor level. She jumps across an eight foot gap. In midair, she spins 180 degrees and goes into full splits and lands on top of this filing cabinet, which is against a wall in full splits. And the filing cabinet's barely a foot deep. What's that in metric measurements for anybody who's not oh, English? <laughs> An impressively large or small amount, depending on which measurement you want. Yeah. It, it's really good. It's also worth pointing out at this time that the kind of big tagline that's featured in the film's trailer, as well as other marketing, is that there are no stunt doubles in this film. So the lead actor does all of her stunts. And there are no wires. Oh, okay. Which so makes stunts she... like this incredible. Yeah. You know, if she doesn't get it right, she just doesn't land on the filing cabinet and she falls down this 12-foot drop. Or she hits the wall a bit too hard, bounces off the wall, and there's only a foot of filing cabinet to stay on. And she's got no grip because she's in splits. I mean, that's those are the edits that you don't see. Hold that thought. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's really good. She does a kind of classic fight against some lockers you know the whole oh, like hitting people with the, the doors locker and, like, pushing the door yeah okay yeah, yeah. sure and then like kicking someone into a locker and then kicking the door shut at nice. one point she she kicks one guy into a locker fights some other people just as that guy's trying to get out she kicks another guy into the locker next to him and then does like a spinning kick that kicks both of the doors shut beautiful it's really nice beautiful i think if i ever got kicked into a locker I would just accept my fate. You'd stay there. Yeah, I mean, you've lost. Like, if someone kicks me into the locker and kicks the door shut, yeah, do you know what? You win. Yeah. I I messed up. Bad positioning. Somehow fit into the locker. Let you kick the door shut. Don't stand next to lockers if you're fighting someone. That's the (laughs) the rule. I'm not sure they're that much of a danger for the ordinary person. There's not many lockers around in the world when you think about it. It's certainly not for us. But (laughs) people would fit in. Yeah, that's true. I I always visualise... Like the the American high school lines of lockers. Mm. That's the only locker I've ever seen that somebody might get shoved into. Chung then comes out holding Moom as like a hostage. 
Moom does this incredibly inelegant sort of kick to try and get free. And then he just jumps and rugby tackles Chun to the ground. And they're just struggling on the floor. Zen runs to try and help. Now, I thought the spinning splits jump onto a filing cabinet was impressive. Oh, okay. Then, oh my goodness. She's kind of running. The owner throws this wooden pallet at Zen. Yeah. She dodges it by sliding on her knees, kind of limbo style. Oh, under this leans backwards under the pallet. Not just under the pallet, but under a glass coffee table. Oh, okay. Now, it's 18 inches high. This Again, with the imperial measurements. It's a, you know, it's a, it's one of those low coffee tables. And she kind of slides under it whilst this pallet is going above her head. So the timing of it is just unbelievable because the clearance between this wooden pallet that's flying through the air and her head is about eight inches or 20 centimetres. <laughs> You know, the the coffee table doesn't protect her. That's just a, a barrier once she's dodged the... Yeah, it's yeah. Right. It's incredible. I'll, I'll probably show it to you after we've recorded. I, you know, I, I might appreciate that. <laughs> Not to break the uh, the illusion of the show. No, but the, the, well, the point is, do you want to watch it? Is the point oh, of the show, I, Yeah, it? that's true. Yeah, like, sh- show me the stunts, baby. <laughs> show me the stunts. The glass coffee table has two uses, because the owner then gets kicked through it, of course. Of course. <clears throat> We we see Moom kind of on the floor, pathetically grappling with Chun. He vaguely gets a hand free and goes to punch Chun. But just as he's about to, Zen comes over and kicks Chun first. <laughs> Good job, Zen. Uh, yeah, Moom sounds like a bit of a liability at this and point. And I really like that in this film, Moom can't fight at all. They could have easily had Moom beat up some people as well. Yeah. But I, the I... fact they've kept him completely pathetic in a really endearing way. Isn't a nice touch. I, I can see a situation where <laughs> Zen's doing all the badass martial arts and Moom is pseudo Jackie Channing, somehow taking everybody out with kind of environmental choreography mm. type and thing. And kind of luck or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that he doesn't at all, he's just useless. Mm. I like that. It's worth saying that these fight scenes were initially going to be very different. So did they have to, based on the whole licensing issue that you mentioned before, have they essentially had to re-choreograph the fights? Yes and no. The plan was the whole clip of Tony Jar kicking and then her doing the same kick. There were going to be bits of that from Bruce Lee oh, and Jackie Chan. Of course, Chan. yes. So the ice fight was going to be in the style of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And this warehouse fight was going to be in the style of Jackie Chan. And you can see that because the in lockers this fight, did sound a bit, bit channy. The lockers using the chair. Yes. The whole using the environment, the lighthearted stuff, the trousers getting pulled down. You know, the, the dodges through small spaces. Yeah. It's very Jackie Chan. So some moves had to be cut. And there's one point where you see more people on the floor writhing around in pain <laughs> than you've seen get knocked down. <laughs> because some of those had to be cut because it wouldn't really work without the reference of yeah. getting shown that. Beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that would have been a re- really interesting thing to do. But unfortunately, they couldn't do it. I'm a bit sad. I'm a bit sad about that. Yeah. So we go back to the hospital. Zin's in bed. She's looking a bit better. Zen's kind of knelt down beside her. Moom's talking to the doctor about collecting some medicine and says Zin can go home for the day because she's doing okay. And we get this kind of short heartwarming moment where they're all kind of playing on the swings. It's quite nice. And again, another kind of exhibition of whilst Moom is useless in a fight, he's actually kind of holding this family together in, in real terms. You know, not the fighting or the whatever. He's the emotional intelligence of the group. Yeah. He's the everyman, just doing his best yeah, with no yeah, yeah. skills. <laughs> with no skills. <laughs> so the warehouse owner goes to see number eight and he shows him 
some CCTV footage of the fight and they wonder what Zin's up to. At this point, we get introduced to Thomas. Now, this is another an interesting point, actually. So Thomas, this character, is an autistic teenager with Tourette's. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. not the usual form of stereotype Tourette's where they swear all the time. Yeah, yeah. That is called coprolalia. And only about 10% of people with Tourette's exhibit that behavior. Okay. So again, it's a film thing of, oh, it's quite funny to make people with this condition do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his movement's quite erratic and he has this kind of tick where he violently kind of sniffs off to the side and kind of throws his head off to the side. Mm-hmm. So we just we just meet this guy who's, who's kind of wandering around following number eight and he's wearing this kind of classic all black Adidas three stripe tracksuit. Oh, glasses. don't tell me that Thomas is like the setup rival for Zen. Oh my God. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> that we've ended up with two neurodiverse people in a film anyway. Yes. Both portrayed accurately and not stereotypically. Oh, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's obviously going to be saved for the finale. Excellent. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah. So the third location, Zen and Moon go to a meat factory in some sort of market to get more money. But all the flies that are around make Zen kind of freak out. Yeah, she's got this thing about flies. We see the meat factory owner kind of come out to see what's going on. And there are two really good CG flies kind of crawling around on his face. It's It's the same CG fly, isn't it, Tanley? They're just animating it again. I mean, yeah, sure. But it looks really good. They look really good. They spent the money on it. It doesn't look like CG. They spent the money on it. It's very realistic. Anyway. Maybe it's a trained fly. I mean, maybe. Two trained flies. Because he's got two on his face. Maybe they're two trained flies. Maybe they've trained one fly and that fly's trained a second one. <laughs> Train the trainer. <laughs> so Zen's back at home and she's getting really upset and saying, you know, we need to go back and get the money for her mum. But Moom's saying, if you go back, we'll just see the flies again, you know, and it'll stress you out. So they go to bed. But Zen wakes herself up and finds this like scuba mask thing. Fly armor. <laughs> yeah, basically. And she goes to the meat factory by herself. Even with this scuba mask on, she's still... Re- like struggling to hold it together okay the flies look really good because <laughs> they're kind of flying around you know they're, they're the right level of the right sort of resolution they're, oh they look really good I, anyway i mean yeah i if i were gonna put a cgi fly in my film i'd want it to look good you don't come here for reviews of films done you know looking at the the, the big plot points you come here for the cg fly review <laughs> the narrative maybe some <laughs> no. of the important things that are going on underlying no. the cinematography no, no. it's the flies look really good. They do look really good. But she still tries to ask for the money. The owner says, you can get it if you can. And then dramatically like chops a huge meat cleaver down into a pig's head and then walks off. So Zen's just kind of stood there shaking, getting worked up about all these flies. We get this kind of close up on her face of her kind of just freaking out. And then we hear this zap sound effect and a CGI dead fly with a trail of smoke flies across camera in slow motion we get this cool electric guitar lick and the camera pans to show Moom stood there holding one of those like electric bat swatter <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, this is when he's a hero. And it's like, <laughs> and it, <laughs> I don't... Finally, I, I can <clears throat> be useful. It's like, have you seen Lord of the Rings? Yes, actually. You know that moment when the riders of Rohan come over the hill with Gandalf, at, like the big fight at the end to save the day. And it's like, the sun has risen on the third day oh, and all these yeah, people yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. That's how I felt when we panned to see <laughs> Moon with his fly swatter because it was so like, yes, he knows exactly what to do. He's on top of it. He can't do anything useful, but he still saves the day. There's a nice nice little touch in, in this scene as well. 
we see some meat factory workers who are kind of old women who just go off to hide somewhere. So it's nice to see that this workplace has a sort of open recruitment policy. Doesn't just hire martial arts stuntmen in the workforce. <laughs> Quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Ageism is a real problem in the workplace these days. Mm, exactly. So it's nice to see that. So anyway, Moom and Zen run towards these stuntmen. And as soon as they get close, Moom just turns around and runs away again, which I really like. Uh, Zen beats up a few of these guys. We kind of split between some men throwing meat cleavers and then getting beaten up. And we get quite a lot of screen time on this one stuntman's face. So we think, hmm, something's going to happen with this guy because we, we get a lot of his face. And indeed, as expected, he throws a meat cleaver at Zen. She dodges it. It bounces off a wok that's hung up on the wall and then bounces back and slices into his sort of clavicle and stays lodged in there, this massive meat cleaver. It hits him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. (laughs) I mean, imagine if that's how you went out. I know. He looks down, sort of moans in pain and slowly sinks to the floor. Poor lad. Zen jumps up onto the table using this big set of scales as a sort of trampoline. Mm. The guy that tries to follow her falls off the table into a barrel of boiling water. Oh, that... mm. I mean, that mm. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, because he's an idiot. She uses some rope that's hanging down to kind of tie up this guy as he's struggling on the floor. Then Zen, as she's fighting someone else, inadvertently kicks a meat cleaver backwards towards this tied up guy's head and he ducks just in time. The classic kind of the guys that are just getting beat up more than anyone else just for no reason, whatever. Uh, so I suppose that's the thing. Zen, Zen is a <clears throat> non-lethal butt kicker. Yeah. So that, also, that was dangerously close to being a lethal butt kicker. It's worth pointing out that apart from the little pool of blood from number eight's shoe when he shoots himself in the foot, there's not really any blood in this film. Okay, so blood is meaningful <coughs> in this film. Mm. Yeah, it's only for idiots characters. who shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Which has no alternate me- meanings whatsoever. Yeah. So the guy that's tied up, he frees himself and then gets thrown along the worktop and he slides along and comes to a stop an inch from the pointy end of the meat cleaver that the owner stuck in the pig's head earlier. Oh, poignant. It's really nice. And again, it's this kind of the guy that's getting things happen to him all the time. (laughs) He then gets hit in the face by some big lump of meat that someone accidentally kicks at him. The guy that kicks it then misses with a kick and gets his foot impaled on a meat hook. So there's no blood, but there's some sketchy stuff. And then Zen kind of kicks out his other leg. So he's screaming in pain, dangling upside down hooked on this meat hook so moon's still running around swatting flies another guy comes in manages to just kind of slice barely zen in the stomach with a meat cleaver moon throws a joint of meat at him and then just ducks down to hide behind the worktop zen picks up some random metal pole and beats up three more guys using it like a staff metal poles are just one of the strongest weapons in martial art films oh yeah the owner has been kind of watching picks up a cleaver but zen just throws the staff at him Kind of knocks him over. We see the guy from earlier with the cleaver stuck in his shoulder. Struggle. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, he struggles up to his feet. And just as he does, the owner throws a cleaver at Zen. She swats it away with a metal tray and it hits that guy who's just got up in the stomach. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, no. Zen walks towards the owner. A henchman gets up and picks up a metal rake, breaks the metal rake, the kind of rake bit off. What's a rake doing in a meat factory? To rake the meat? I regret asking the question. <laughs> I don't know, to clean up bits of meat that are on the floor or whatever, offcuts. Why why a rake? Like a garden rake. Yeah. Well a a, a broom might not cut it. Yep. 
Yep, that's <clears throat> fine. Yeah, so she breaks the rake bit off, so it's just like this kind of metal javelin. She chucks it at the owner. It looks like it's imp- impaled the owner against the table. But as we're getting closer, we see that the javelin kind of went into a joint of meat that's just next to him on the table. Ah, uh, okay. But then he moves forward, and we realise that he, in fact, got pushed back onto this meat hook spike in his bum. Oh, no. And he does that kind of, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, oh, kind no. of noise. I mean, he... I mean, it's a fetish for some, but it doesn't sound <laughs> like it's a fetish for him. So he kind of extricates himself from this spike, and then Zen puts her foot on his stomach and pushes him back onto it. Oh, no. And asks for the money. He says, it's only 5,000. Why did you have to do this? And then just gets the money out of his pocket and gives it to her. So if it's that small amount of money, then... You say that, but 5,000 what? True. It's five baths <laughs> for people that listen to episode one. Yeah, I, but, I, but five thousand what? what? What currency are we in? Five thousand Thai currency. But yeah, so they wander off, and the owner gets himself off the spike with this kind of sort of sound effect, and he looks in trouble. <clears throat> he sounds in trouble. So it's sunrise the next day. Zin goes to check in on Zen, who's still asleep. She sees all the cuts and bruises on her legs and gets a bit upset. She goes to the hospital. Moom is at the hospital, picking up some medicine. And the nurse says, oh, someone left these sweets for your sister. They didn't leave a name, but here's some sweets. Oh. And they're like the M&M things. That they she know. They're coming. So he goes home. Zen's playing some fighting video game. Zin confronts Moom. You know, what have you been doing? Why are you all bruised? <laughs> and Moom just goes, uh... <laughs> But then they're interrupted by a scream from Zen in the other room. They go through and see that she's emptied the sweets out into a bowl and like a black, mouldy, severed toe has fallen out into the bowl. Did that man keep the toe for all these years? Is that Zen's toe? That's so weird. Why would you keep a toe? toe? I mean, it's it's black. What's wrong with black toes, Tannelly? (laughs) <laughs> you have me there <laughs> so Zin gets angry shouting at Moom you know how did this get here what have you been doing Moom explains saying you know we found your book we're just getting the money that people owe you you know we didn't think anything like this would happen and it's the only way we could afford to pay for your medicine you know he's doing his best it shows how much of a hero he is you know he's just trying to help everyone you know despite being utterly useless and he's only like 18. You know, he's not thinking about anything to do with himself. He's just trying to save the family that sort of adopted him. It's really you know sweet. who should be helping? Masashi. You're very good at predicting things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to watch films while yeah. I already know what happens. So Zin sort of understands and feels sorry for him and calms down and asks, you know, what's going on? Why are these people? Why are they in the book? Zin completely ignores that question and says, I just need you to do something very important and take a letter to this restaurant. Moom does this. He goes to the restaurant, gives this letter. But as he comes out, he's confronted by several of number eight's bodyguards who shoot Moom. Is he dead? We don't know. He just gets shot. Oh, no. He's the guy keeping everything together. He can't die. So the bodyguards go back to number eight and they say, Zin was trying to send this letter to her husband, Masashi. Ah. What shall we do? He reads the letter and he says, well, let's just send it to him. Then we can settle this once and for all. And we see on number eight's desk, there's a framed photo of Zin. And his toe, because he shot himself <laughs> in the foot again. 
<laughs> so no, so he's clearly like obsessed with with Zin and does yeah. and hates the idea of anyone else being with him. <clears throat> so I Masashi mean, gets this letter. Sort it out, bro. He sends one of his men to take Zin and Zen to a safe place. Masashi's guy arrives at the house, finds it empty, and then he sees a car pull up, and so he hides. Four of Number Eight's bodyguards, who are all women wearing horrendous shiny pink floral dresses. They, mm. <laughs> again, it's nice to have like all of the grunts getting beaten up as men, but then the actual hardcore bodyguards were women. That's nice. But they <laughs> still get beaten up, right? Yeah. Everyone um, needs to take a licking from Zen. That's all I'm bothered about here. She's taking names, man. So the, the bodyguards go in and there's no one there. So they just sit on the sofa waiting for number eight to arrive. And as they're sat there waiting, Masashi's guy slides out from under the sofa and just shoots all of them. Oh, 10 out of 10. Yeah, he's, he's pretty <laughs> the cool. The classic sofa killing. Yeah, yeah. So he rings Masashi saying Zin and Zen weren't there, but the gang was waiting for them. And as he's on the phone, he gets shot in the head by the head bodyguard of number eight. We know she's the head bodyguard because she's wearing a sparkly gold jacket over the shiny pink floral dress. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, sure. So number eight, wearing a white suit and snakeskin shoes. Um... He picks up the phone and he says to Masashi, it's me, remember? And then just chuckles. And then we kind of fade out. Exactly. Two people who have had nothing to do with most of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk to each other as though they are meaningful characters <laughs> in this story about Moom. Yeah. Zin is getting concerned that Moom hasn't come back yet. So she goes to a phone box to ring Moom, but the head bodyguard answers and says to Zin, you should come over for a catch-up because it's been so long. Because, of course, they used to work together when Zin was oh, the Oh, of people. course, of course. And Zin kind of smashes the phone down and very artistically, we kind of pull back the shot to see a sort of blurred out Zen in the foreground, kind of clutching her doll, the doll that reminds her of Masashi. Of and just rocking backwards and forwards as we see the as we see Zin in the phone box. It's really nice. So Zin and Zen go to number eight's place. Uh, Zen clutching her doll in one hand and dragging her little rocking chair in the other. Zin sits down. Number eight says, I haven't seen you in a while. You look terrible. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, I, I wasn't going to say this until later, but really, this is the story of the toxic masculinity of number eight. Yeah, basically. The man who could not let a girl who had nothing to do with him go mm. and has subsequently taken her toe, her adopted son, and now negs her when she walks into the room. <laughs> Zin says, you know, she just wants Moon back so they can go home. Oh, you can't go around stealing money because it's not yours. You know, it's ours, but you left that world a long time ago. Number eight says, Zen's just calling out for Moom, you know, getting a bit worked up. So he's brought in, thrown on the floor, and just kicked a bit. And Zin and Zen have guns held to their heads. So Moom is kind of moaning on the floor. We can see the bullet wound in his abdomen from before. Ooh. Zin tries to grab the gun from number eight. Zen knocks the bodyguard down. They're all kind of struggling over the guns. Zin accidentally kind of shoots two henchmen who are sat at a table drinking tea. I mean, I hope they're henchmen and they're not just men sat drinking tea because that would be awful. <laughs> so Zin manages to kind of stab number eight with the chopstick that's in her hair. She shoots another tea drinker as he gets up. I really hope these are henchmen because... <laughs> <laughs> We're just in a random cafe. And then she shoots number eight and she shoots the head bodyguard woman four times. She's really got some stress to get out of this woman. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you. Who, who, who fired? Who Zin. Zin fired, okay. That's so Zin's fine. shot the tea drinker, shoots at number eight, and then the head bodyguard four times. Okay, so Zen remains 
unsullied by firearms. Unsullied by firearms and yeah. death, generally. The last remaining tea drinker, who's wearing a checkered bandana. That was your last mistake. He gets kicked through a wall by Zen, and then she has to fight him kind of out on this roof. She fights him and two other women who are just hanging out on this roof that's by like a train line. This fight scene is really good. It's quite long and it, it has like some proper development. You know, it's not just factory men that get beaten up. After there's a story. There's a real kind of to and fro. These women are formidable. Not the tea drinker that just got smashed through the wall. No, he doesn't do much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's a nice little bit, you know, at one point Zen slides through the legs of one person to kick out the legs of the person behind. Oh, okay, okay. There's a little sequence where Zen and one of these women are crouched underneath these kind of metal railings. So they have to fight while they're crouched right down and can't be really moved properly. These women are a lot tougher than all the stuntmen we've seen before. Uh, oh, they... I would hope so. We're reaching the climax here. Yeah, but... well, they, they take numerous like flying elbows to the head and stuff and keep getting up. One finally gets knocked out by a sort of scorpion kick over the back of Zen's head. Oh, is... I, I can imagine it, yeah. Yeah. And then the other woman gets taken out by kind of knocking her into some sort of ventilation duct with a flying double knee. A lot happened in that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a ventilation shaft. It's big enough for a person. Yeah, well, she like kind it... of, she gets stuck into it kind of Is it like torso. legs? Her arms and legs are still stuck Yeah, out. yeah, classic. But it's, yeah, that's quite good. And then whilst all this happens... The bandana tea drinker guy hasn't done anything in this fight. He's just I been on the floor. No, he went through a wall. He then gets up and is immediately taken out by a slow motion flying knee to the head whilst a train goes past in the background. Oh, I mean, that's just a bit unfair. It's so good. Does the I... train hide the crunch of his skull? The train's behind. It's in the background. I mean, uh, it's just a backdrop. Does of... the train orally hide the sound of the crunch? Not really. Okay, mm. no, he, he's the man's dead. It, well, no, he's not. He. <laughs> He keeps going. Oh, but, no. So, yeah, the flying knees to the head knocks him down. Oh, that, that little sequence on the roof is so good. It's just Zen fighting people that can vaguely handle her. Vaguely. So number eight grabs in, pulls her back into a different room. Zen follows, and about 20 guys all come in through various doors and downstairs. Oh, I love that. When it's like you're in the yeah. centre of a room and then like every door opens and there's a person just and ready like, to get kicked. And like a double staircase and they come <laughs> yeah, down yeah. there as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all come out, they stop, they go, Wah! and then they all run at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm there, I'm there. <laughs> Initially, she takes out three of them without touching the ground. So she jumps up, she kind of kicks one and then jumps off him, knees another guy with that momentum and then spins and back kicks the third as she lands mm. it's so good and the fight scene carries on like this there's like 20 guys in fact i counted them of course because people get knocked down and get up again so all in all i just need to know hmm? how long did you spend going oh is that the same person i rewinding checking back i've drawn a little sketch i've got a police sketch of everybody who's in this scene <laughs> and after all these sketches i realized there are I started doing that, and then I thought, no. Oh, okay. I'll count how many times she takes down a person. Okay. Because that's more you. of a scale of the fight. You know, she could take down two people, but 10 times each. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. So there are 26 takedowns. Okay, nice. And it never gets repetitive or predictable. So she's beating up all of those guys. Then Thomas comes down. There he is, the tank himself. Yeah. So Zen's looking a bit tired and initially gets pretty badly beaten up by Thomas. Side note. Thomas fights using capoeira. So that's like the it's Brazilian, Brazilian, yeah, Brazilian like martial dancey, art. Dancey, spinny. Very dark, lots of handstands. Anyone that's Eddie Gordo, Tekken, Tekken, yeah, Eddie I'm Gordo. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now you speak in my language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the actor is 18 and he is a Thai breakdancing champion. This is the only film he has ever appeared in. That sounds like a shame. And he trained extensively in Kafuera for this. And it shows. Because it is really good. Okay, okay. So initially, Zen just cannot handle this at all. We've all been there. I <laughs> played Tekken. <laughs> so what she does is she kind of studies him and starts trying to copy his various erratic movements and the little ticks that he makes to try and get on his wavelength and stuff. Okay, okay. And so she ends up doing some capoeira type stuff as oh, well. okay. Which, again, is really impressive. So the fight's a bit more equal. There's still a bit of to and fro. It's really acrobatic. And eventually, uh, Zen comes out on top and knocks knocks out Thomas. Poor Thomas. Yeah. This whole closing sequence is so good. It's quite long for a kind of final sequence because it goes through a lot of stages. But it doesn't get boring. And it's really exciting. It just keeps ramping up. After all that, Masashi walks in. Finally. Finally. The film that was set up to be all about him. The prodigal dad. And the remaining henchmen grab samurai swords that are hanging on the wall and kind of charge at him. (laughs) Masashi just pulls out his gun and shoots half of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. Because the gun is mightier than the sword. I mean, the age of the samurai (laughs) is over, my friend. Yeah. And then he grabs one of their swords and then just kills the rest of them with a sword. Yeah, fair. Zin manages to get herself free from number eight, which reveals the blood from the gunshot that's ruined his white suit. Oh, no. I know. I think maybe he's the only person that bleeds. (laughs) His white shoe and his white suit. At least one of those was his own fault. Yeah. So everyone's just kind of fighting these these henchmen with swords. And then number eight comes and goes to stab Masashi. But Zin throws herself in the way. So the sword goes all the way through Zin and then slightly into Masashi. Oh, I mean, she was on the way out anyway. Yeah. That's just an efficient save. Number eight looks horrified masashi looks heartbroken Mm. zin and zen kind of look at each other as zin sort of falls lifelessly into masashi's arms oh oh. i know masashi screams out and sort of slashes number eight as he's kind of running away with his sword and then kills a load more henchmen whilst he's still holding up zin's body with one arm he gets cut by by one guy's sword he drops zin he's getting pushed back by all these henchmen we see Zen kind of crawling over to Zin and she keeps kind of tapping her, just telling her to wake up. You know, can't understand why she's not yeah. responding. Yeah. Number eight goes over and just kicks Zen in the face. That was your last <laughs> mistake, buddy. <laughs> Have you not seen the trail of bodies? Yeah. Number eight drags Zin's body away whilst more henchmen attack Masashi. This guy has so many henchmen. It's unbelievable. They just keep coming. I mean, that is the real story of every villain, isn't it? Like, where do you get all these disposable bodies? Mm. And why are they all in the office? (laughs) So Masashi kills the rest of these these guys, but he kind of falls to the floor himself because he's been hit quite a lot. He looks badly injured. Mm. Zen picks up two discarded scabbards and beats up a couple of remaining henchmen. Nice, with these continues scabbards. to be non-lethal. In this kind of whirlwind of rage. You know, you I really mean, see yeah, I'd be pretty peeved. the emotion. It's, it's really good. Because all of the fight sequences before with Zen have been this kind of flatline, emotionless. She's just copying the moves she's seen and doing what she needs to do. It's almost like her name is meaningful. <gasps> I never thought of that. That's really Did terrible. you actually not think I of never that? Thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might not be. I might just be making things up here. Why not? Nothing's an accident. In scripts and films, right? No, exactly. But yeah, it's really effective how that this is suddenly this outpouring of emotion. So Zen follows number eight out onto the rooftop. He's, he's still dragging Zin's body. Moom's around. 
he just kind of. I mean, that's him every fight. He right? appears. He's, he's I mean, he's been. He's just been on the floor, whatever, suffering with injuries. He just appears, pulls out a gun. Oh, on, okay. On number eight, and tells him to let Zin go. So he pushes Zin kind of towards Moom and pulls out a gun himself to shoot Zen. Moom what? shouts flies. Does she dodge the bullet? She dodges the bullet. She dodges the bullet! <laughs> and kicks the gun out of his hand. Nice. For the first time in the whole film, number eight looks a little bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps off the roof to grab this like railing that's by the train line. That's like across this gap. Okay. This yeah. Quite a big gap. What's uh, that in footage? <laughs> an amount of footage. An amount of feet worth of gap. Zen jumps across onto it too, and they're both hanging off this railing, and there's a train going by on this train line. We can see the shop signs that are kind of on the side of the building opposite, uh, and the street down below. They're about like five stories up. Mm. They kind of awkwardly shimmy across. Number eight's trying to get away. He jumps across and grabs hold of one of these street signs that's kind of jutting out. He just about manages to catch it. Just as Zen is about to jump across, who should jump across and onto the railing but the bandana wearing tea drinker guy? He's back. He's like, actually, maybe this guy is the final boss. <laughs> so she, she kicks him a few times and knees him in the back and grabs him by the shoulders. Okay, so yeah. he's dangling and she's hanging off him and he's kind of losing his grip and manages to catch the ledge below. There's no wires used in this film. Uh, you've, you've mentioned this. Sounds like people could have been hurt. Yeah. So Zen kind of jumps onto the shop sign across shimmies away there's kind of these ledges at each level sure on sure, the wall. sure number eight is on the ledge above her uh, she climbs up to that third level knees number eight he falls off the ledge and smashes through a street sign on the level below and lands on that ledge yeah take it four henchmen come out of the windows why where who I mean, How are there more? It does make sense because this these will be the windows of the building they were in when they were fighting. It's more that haven't they but, already come upstairs and been kicked in? Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> One gets kind of kicked just off the ledge. See ya. One's kicked back into the building. One's kicked over one of these street signs. Uh, she then kicks the first guy that's hanging off the ledge and he bounces off the two ledges below and lands. Ooh. He lands on like a big industrial metal wheelie bin on the ground level. Uh, that doesn't <clears> sound <throat> fun. No. And the fourth guy gets kicked off the ledge and the camera's looking straight down and we see his whole descent bouncing off ledges and landing on the pavement. And we see that whole journey from top down and it looks painful. There are no wires in this film. Mm. So our old friend, the bandana-wearing tea drinker, makes his way onto the ledge whilst Zen kicks another guy off the ledge. Bandana tea drinker puts up a bit of a fight but ends up dangling from the ledge with one hand. Zen climbs down a level, knocks out another six guys to chase after number eight. Six? Mm. Okay, sure. She jumps off the ledge, bounces off a street sign, lands on the ledge below, and on her landing, knees a henchman in the chest. And he kind of falls across this little bit of metal mesh that's linking two ledges. Okay, yeah. That makes I'm, sense? I'm, 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 sure. She walks over the guy that's lying down. So the, the kind of metal mesh isn't really enough to support fully weight. It's but just... the body of a beat-up henchman is. Yeah, so she walks across the guy. She loops some rope around some other guy and then jumps back across, pulls on the rope, so that the guy is then thrown on top of the first guy that's oh, down. Oh, no. And then whilst he's in midair, she jumps up and it goes into slow motion for a split second as the two of them are in midair. The henchman lands 
on the other henchman. And then a split second later, Zen lands on them both. And then she kind of jumps off as the two of them together fall down two stories Oy. worth of ledges. Oh. Always. Oh. It looks bad. It looks really bad. So number eight climbs up to the top ledge to try and escape. There's lots of ledges here. Yeah, a lot of ledge. Uh, Zen follows, uh, as does Bandana Tea Drinker. They have a fight kind of jumping between street signs and the train line railings. Zen kicks Bandana Tea Drinker as he's in midair jumping towards the railings and he falls straight down onto the pavement. All right, finally gone. So Zen jumps across the number eight, repeatedly elbows him in the back of the head and then just throws him off the ledge. And he kind of slams into a street sign down onto a ledge below. We get a slow motion replay of him like face planting this ledge and then bouncing off and going onto the floor. So Zen climbs down to the pavement level and there are just bodies everywhere (laughs) on the floor. (laughs) And she basically just watches number eight die. Oh, she climbs back up to the roof to find Moom just kind of sat there crying and there's Zin's dead body. She keeps kind of slapping Zin to just telling her to wake up and sort of crying because she can't, she just doesn't, yeah, can't yeah, process yeah. it. Oh, oh. Masashi comes over, calms Zen down, holding her head like against his and then just like hugs her really tight and the camera pulls back to show those two hugging, you know, next to Zin's body and then Moom's like a few metres away, just knelt down crying facing away from camera it's really powerful i genuinely teared up we get a little closing montage of zen playing with her doll collecting more of the little glass marbles with the voiceover in reality no life can ever be perfect but masashi has discovered that one thing can help lessen the imperfections in the world that one thing that brings life close to perfection is love Ah, chocolate almost we get this gorgeous shot kind of low down looking up at zen who's playing with a little paper windmill on a stick, and there's a huge electric wind turbine looming up above her. Mm. And then Masashi comes into shot, kind of puts his arm around her. She rests her head on his chest, and we see them walking off, and then we fade to black and credits roll. It's a really nice end to the film. I'm a bit disappointed Moon wasn't included in that ending, because I think he deserves to be part of that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Now... The credits start, but then are interrupted. Okay, yeah, here we go. The by, epilogue. By a collection of outtakes from the fight scenes. Where oh, things haven't oh quite gone I right. see. This is the thought I was holding. Now, Jackie Chan films, there's often these little outtake montages where things haven't gone quite right. And, you know, oh, that's gone a bit wrong. Ha ha ha. I don't this know how is... Jackie Chan is alive in fairness. <laughs> no, true. But a lot of it is, oh, we've tried something and we've just fallen over or something's not gone quite right. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. Are, these outtakes, there's one guy who's got blood streaming out of the top of his head. Is it because he fell down several stories? Maybe. And they or just it, filmed it. Or we just got kicked in the head. Yeah, or, yeah, possibly. And there's so many of these clips of something will go wrong in a fight. Someone will just get kicked full force in the face or something. And there's always this one guy who's just got like an ice pack as if that's the... <laughs> <laughs> fixes everything. Zen at one point gets kicked in the eye. She has a cut on her leg at some point. Someone in the background says, we're going to need another piece of wood. <laughs> She gets kicked in the nose. We get slow-mo replays of some of these genuine injuries. She cuts her hand on like a splintered wooden shutter. And then you hear someone go, have you had a tetanus shot? (laughs) (laughs) And she just looks blankly back. (laughs) Um, They show the aftermath of that big fall at the end by number eight with all these people crowded around him going, is your chest tight? Are you only hurt on your face? The worst one, you know where there's one guy that gets pulled on top of the other guy and they both collapse together? Yeah. 
he's he's in real trouble. I, I mean, that sounds like a real trouble kind of moment. Yeah, and he's there with like neck braces coming out and these medics crowding around him. Oh my god! <laughs> There's still the guy with the ice pack, <laughs> just chilling. Yeah, and someone goes, "Should we go to the hospital?" Yeah, probably. Should we probably. go to the hospital? Fallen from three stories up, and he's uh, and so he's. We see him get put on a stretcher and wheeled off into an ambulance. And then we see him in his hospital bed with loads of like the cast and crew visiting him. And then they all wave. And then we get the rest of the credits. And that's it. Not nothing else. That, that's it. That's nothing else. It's a weird ending. Yeah. To... I suppose it's in the credit sequence, right? Yeah, fine. But people got hurt making this film. <laughs> Oof. But I think it's a brilliant film. It sounds good. I, I am genuinely interested. My memory of it, because it's been a good five or six years since I've seen it. My memory of it was that it was a good film. But, you know, good without a capital G. Oh, okay, so, you know, it was a watchable film yeah. that was, yeah. And then I watched it again, whenever it was, last night, the other night. And there's so many moments where you go, that is just... So the stunts are brilliant. The fight scenes are so well choreographed. And the actor that plays Zen, the guy that plays Thomas, they are superb. Mm. They get the tone right with treating, you know, the autism, the Tourette's, the kind of strong female lead... You know, issues of family, of, you know, Moom doing his best in a difficult situation, still contributing. It's very artistic. These nice shots sprinkled in as well. It sounds like they had a lot of talent working on it, for sure. Even as ridiculous it is, going back to your fly, that kind of thing is probably a labour of love for somebody. Mm. So, yeah, it sounds like they had a lot of talent working on it. I would thoroughly recommend this film. I would probably watch it. You might see, oh, it's a film about a girl with autism and you go that sounds a bit heavy it is not heavy at all yeah I, the, I suppose the autism is present and it is you know respected it's not ignored but it's not the reason you watch the film which in some ways is how these things should be done it takes some kind of minority treats it with respect incorporates characteristics that are accurate from that minority but doesn't stereotype doesn't typecast doesn't make it all about that characteristic. It's part of the person, not all of the person. Yes. Yes. No, I'm with you. It's not, you know, jokingly, I call it the film about the autistic girl who beats up criminals to get money to pay for her mum's chemotherapy. Because that's a good line to... Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a To story. get a laugh. But and that's not how I'd seriously describe this film. You know, it's a woman who goes and does these things. There are so many moments in it which are kind of really heartwarming, but not in a patronising someone with learning difficulties who's doing well in life yeah i mean for me narratively one of those films again where right at the start we had a simple solution there were two men they could have just both been a little bit better you know if number eight had just gone you know what i'll let her go she's got a life to lead it's nothing to do with me i shot myself in the foot that's not her problem Mm. no problems at all we're fine Okay, okay, but not strictly true. Zin, throw away the book. How about, Zin, if you love Masashi, go to Japan with him? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, Masashi, what are you doing, mate? You'll drop everything at the at the drop of a hat. You'll come and say hello. I've got to come save your life. I get the impression that he didn't know Zin was pregnant. He only knows he has a daughter once he's moved back to Japan. Oh, okay. okay. <clears throat> so he's not leaving pregnant wife. He's just leaving... Wife. Wife. And the Sadly, whole point because of them... the wife told him to as well. I was going to say, because the whole point of them splitting up is to avoid further trouble. Yeah. Which I, I did sort of forget along the lines there. 
But if Zin just goes back to Japan, then number eight will never see them together again because they're in Japan. I mean, there a lot of choices in films are maybe not the choices we would have made. But yet here I am podcasting with you and you start to think maybe we're not that smart. Yeah, I mean, things take their turns in life, don't they, and go in certain directions, and here we are. And here we are. And here you are, listeners. Listen to this. <laughs> what decisions have you made in your life that's led you to download <laughs> an extensive discussion of a film that you've never seen and probably never will see? I hope at least one person watches Chocolate. Not I'd... Chocolat, Chocolate. Don't watch Chocolat. Chocolat's fine. Chocolate is a genuinely good film. And anyone that watches it, even if you maybe don't think you like martial arts films, you don't think you like foreign films, this is a good film. I mean, all of these films that we discuss in this podcast, I think are good films, I think. I mean, so far, we've done you two. You are going to be the determinant of that, yeah. so <laughs> you tell me, buddy. No, but so far, any of these films on Secondhand Cinema, Cole on the podcast. Cole on the podcast, without the colon on the podcast, everywhere. All of, the, all of the films we, you know, I don't think you'll be unhappy if you watch any of these films. <laughs> That's not that's not great. <laughs> Hello, I Tanley don't think you'll be unhappy watching any of these films. I think you will at least have a mediocre experience that leaves you content. <laughs> but no, chocolate is a is a good film. It's better than chocolate. Rotten Tomatoes says so. Rotten Tomatoes does say so. But no, that's that's my thoughts on uh, on chocolate. Have you, listener, have you seen chocolate? What do you think of it? Why don't you interact with us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? Or send us an email at secondhandcinema... What's our email address? Secondhandcinemapod at gmail.com. And on social media, we are at secondhandcinema. Find us and interact with us. And don't just point out pedantic little things that I've got wrong. Please do. It... I enjoy it greatly. Oh, we should get merchandise. I think it's early for merchandise. Maybe it's early for merchandise. Although, one day we should do it just for ourselves. Oh, and never release it. Yeah, like, and just wear it around town. Oh, the merchandise. I thought you meant the podcast. No, the merchandise. What, never you... release the podcast? I thought you meant record a podcast just for ourselves. No, <laughs> let's make t-shirts for ourselves. <laughs> why would we just make a podcast that we never release? I mean, that's why I was wondering. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's make t-shirts for ourselves. Oh, that's a good place to, to leave it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, comma, dear listener, as, as Tanley <laughs> often says. Yeah, thank you, dear listener. <laughs> the comma's getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate listening. We had, we've had quite a few people already listen to episode one, and hopefully a lot of you will still be here for episode two. We look forward to talking more about films, mostly for our pleasure, but occasionally for yours. Yeah, hopefully you enjoy it too. Yeah. So I think that's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. See you later. Bye. Second hand cinema.